All right, Hebrews chapter 13. I had Rob read Psalm 23 in connection with that. The title of the message is Christ the Great Shepherd. Christ the Great Shepherd. Let's start reading in verse 8. There's a lot in this message. I'm going to try to speed along to make it one part. This is always a problem, and it's a good problem to have because of the depth of the person and work of Christ. So you may get tired of me hearing about complaining about getting out what I want to say, but it's a good problem to have, I guess. Hebrews 13 and verse 8, Jesus Christ, the same yesterday, today, and forever. Be not carried away with different and strange doctrines, for it is uh, a good thing that the heart be established with grace, not meats, which have not profited them, that have been occupied in them. We have an altar, whereof they have no right to eat, which serve the tabernacle. For the bodies of those beasts, whose blood is brought into the sanctuary by the high priest for sin, are burned outside the camp. Wherefore Jesus also, that he might sanctify the people with his own blood, suffered outside the gate. Let us go forth, therefore, unto him outside the camp, bearing his reproach. For here we have no continuing city, but we seek one to come. He said that earlier in chapter 11. Uh, talked about we're just we're just here for a little while. Um, if you've ever seen a jet on a runway, just do a touchdown. I was in the military. You saw that where they just touched down and they didn't stop. They just beep, boop, see it. That's the way you know life's a vapor. It's here for a second, vanishes away. We seek a, a better country. You know the slogan "Make America Great Again." Well, we're talking about the great shepherd of the sheep who has this better country where we're citizens it has to do with the eternal things not these little temporary bleeps we see on the radar of life by him verse 15 therefore let us offer the sacrifice of praise to god continually that is the fruit of our lips giving thanks to his name but to do good and to communicate forget not for with such sacrifices, God is well pleased. Obey them that have rule over you, and submit yourselves, for they watch for your souls, as they must give an account, that they may do it with joy and not with grief, for that is unprofitable for you. This is not talking about the police, by the way. We're not even going to cover this as we get in there, I don't think. Maybe another time, but it's referring to those that are in the leadership of the church that are uh, uh, under shepherds, under the great shepherd. Pray for us, for we trust we have a good conscience in all things, willingly to live honestly. But I beseech you rather to do this, that I may be restored to you the sooner. Now the God of peace that brought again from the dead our Lord Jesus, the great shepherd of the sheep, through the blood of the everlasting covenant, make you perfect in every good work to do his will, working in you that which is well-pleasing in his sight, through Jesus Christ, to whom be glory forever and ever. Amen. So there's a lot of stuff there, obviously, and I'm not going to be able to do any of it justice as far as dipping into it the way I want to in a short amount of period of time. But I think I, I think and hope this will be comforting to you. That's my that's my job to comfort God's people, God's sheep in the flock. And um, I think I have a word from God because I'm reading and preaching God's word. <laughs> I don't have a direct revelation from God like some of these preachers talk about. 
That's what they mean when they say, I've got a word from God. They're talking about a new revelation that's not in here. I can't, I can't do that. I'm forbidden to do that. And you guys are educated enough to know that you won't let me do that. One of the most popular texts in the scripture had Rob read Psalm 23 that talks about good and great shepherd. And uh, I'm afraid that it's so familiar in our culture. It's on greeting cards. It's on posters and things like this. I'm afraid it's so familiar in merely a, like a like it's an impressive piece of literature, you know, like it's a poem or something. That seems to be the effect really uh, concerning most words in the scripture, not just Psalm 23. They're just words and they're not life to people. And they talk about the words in the scripture and they, they handle the scripture and they, they talk about what God says almost like a common thing. And uh, I'm afraid as much as we're schooled in it in reference to the importance and the reverence of God and what he says, that we will never reverence him like we should. And the more that we learn and grow, the more, as we said before, we grow down in humility. Uh, he must increase and we must decrease. And, and the more that we grow in the grace and knowledge of the Lord, it's, it's, it's a reverence as we see who he is and who we are. And we detect sometimes our flippant use of God's words and our thoughts toward him. They're never, our thoughts toward him are never reverential enough. The way we talk about him, the way we write about him, just it's all, it's all falls short. And we know that, and that's why, we, that's why we need him. We need him every hour. So we, our, our minds are renewed in this, you know, in, in reference to the reverence that we are to have for him. And sometimes we see people see saying things, um, and it reminds us maybe of us in times past, saying things that are flippant and foolish. Uh, I saw a person this week on social media, um, just like a peacock, you know, just sprouting his feathers, and he just thought he was something special, and he wanted everybody to know about it, and he would not shut up. And there are all kind of people coming in and warning him, what are you doing? What are you saying? And he was a young fellow. Not that youth has anything to do with it. I've seen old people, older people act the same way. But it's someone who, uh, you know, has not been squished by the sovereignty of God to submit to the authority and the word of God to see who they are. A lot of times people will be self-righteous and say, look down on others and say, I, I would never do that. We've talked about it before. Take heed where you stand. You know, those that, those that um, have fallen into sin, the scripture says that we're supposed to humble ourselves and help them. Those that are spiritual, not that think they're Johnny self-righteous, but him that is spiritual, restore such a one. Because, and it warns right after that, in case you're in his situation. So conditionalism, of course, feeds that. And that's what he was uh, spewing out of his foolish mouth. But there, there are these words that we're talking about that, that we see. I gave example Psalm 23. These words are not just, you know, just great literature or something that sticks out in history as that... People always quote, and this is just great, isn't it? How many people? The Bible's the bestseller, you know. So what? Do you know what it means? Do you hear what it says? There's a meaning to the words of life that come from God. We're going to be all over the place as far as Scripture goes, but I want to go to John 6 and um, talk about just what I said about that about these words that Christ speaks. John 6, 63. I want to say something about this. You know, 
spiritual things equates to invisible, eternal things that you cannot see. Our senses won't cut it in reference to our five senses. That is not how we do apologetics or defense of the faith. We don't use our senses. God gives us faith, and our faith hears the words that God says, and God gives us an understanding concerning those words, and that truth affects us in an understanding and an embracing of that. Our hope is invested in it. We see it as this is the only way. There's no other way. We love it. We defend it. And there, but there is an understanding that is put in there with that faith. It's not a mystical blind leap in the dark. And sense-based grabbings of truth using our senses is sight-based. The faith is not by sight. We're the just shall live by faith, not by sight. So those things, things by sight are changeable. They're temporary. God says that everything you can see is going to be burned up. The only thing that's going to remain are the things you can't see, and that has to do with truth, eternal, spiritual things, things our faith is invested in. I, th I think I mentioned this not too long ago. I heard on the radio they were talking about the ark, and they were talking about the, the shroud and things like this, these things, that these relics you can, you can go see or find out about. And the guy that was interviewing, the guy that wrote about him said, you know, this is so great. It just, it's such an aid to my faith. It's the very opposite. Those are for people that are weak in the faith, and they actually make faith weaker. If they say, I knew it, I knew it was there, you know. Well, you read it in the scripture, then you see it. I knew it was there. That's just saying I had to have the authority of something I see with my physical eye to make what I already heard from God be true. In other words, the thing you're looking at has more authority than what God said. That's not aiding to your faith. That's distracting from your faith. This is not good. Verse 63, it says, Christ speaking, it is the spirit that makes alive. The flesh profits nothing. The words that I speak, look, notice, the words that I speak to you, they're life. When Christ created, he spoke, let there be, and it was. The means, he's talking about the same thing. These things are spiritual, and they're underneath the physical surface. They're to be understood spiritually. Verse 64, but there are some of you who believe not. This is in John 6, we know this is when he, was, he fed, right after he fed the 5,000, he was preaching. And um, he, he spoke some things about the doctrines of grace here that were very offensive. I think in this area right here, he, this is when they were starting to kind of like get nervous and scatter right through here. And he's detecting there's some of you that don't believe. There were like 15,000 people there, men, women, and children. Jesus knew from the beginning who they were that did not believe and who the one is betraying him. So he's not just talking about Judas. He's talking about the thousands that are getting ready to leave after he's preaching the truth here. And he said, verse 65, because of this, I said unto you that no man can come to me unless it was given to him from my Father. Sovereign grace. Well, they'd had enough at that point in time. From this time, many of his disciples, and disciples there is not doesn't mean elect necessarily. Doesn't mean non-elect either because some of these people may have believed later. But it's talking about this crowd that was following him that got their bellies full, saw some miracles, and just now got offended at these things speaking of himself about what he was about to accomplish and about the sovereignty of God that told man, depraved man, you can't do anything unless my father gives it to you to do. And after they heard that, they were offended. Verse 66, from this time that, that he said that, 
many of his disciples went back went back into their uh, not just physically back into the villages and their their other the parts of their lives you know it's not just that it's talking about went back into their own ideas they weren't grabbing on to these spiritual ideas these words of life that Christ that he was speaking of here they went back to their old ideas they became undisciplined to not be discipled. You know, if you continue my word, you're my disciple indeed. They said, I'm done. That's what they said. See ya. I don't, I don't go for what you just said. Which, of course, is all explained in the text. These words are spirit. You can't understand them unless, you know, the Father fixes your mind about them. Causes you to see and believe and draws you and so forth. Verse 44 said that too. Then Jesus said to the twelve, Will you go away also? And Simon Peter answered, Lord, to whom shall we go? You have the words of eternal life. It kind of matched what he said in 63. The words that I speak are spirit and they are life. Let me read one more verse from another book that complements this, goes along with it. 1 Corinthians 2.14 But the natural man does not receive the things of the Spirit of God because they are foolishness to him, neither can he know them because they're spiritually understood. It's 1 Corinthians 2.14. So the words of the shepherd are precious to the sheep. Everything about the shepherd is precious to the sheep. And I'm just going to name a few things here today. I just want to give you four points today. The great shepherd was eternally authorized by the Father. The great shepherd has the ability to care for his sheep. The great shepherd gave his life for the sheep, and the great shepherd preserves his sheep. That's just a few things. And as you go all over the scripture from text to text, from context to context, multiply this by hundreds. Back in our text in Hebrews uh, 13.8, it starts out, I started out with that verse on purpose. I thought it was a good place to start because... Uh, isn't eternity a good place to start? Kind of matches with John 1 1. Hebrews 13 8, Jesus Christ, the same yesterday, today, and forever. And you know, yesterday, I think, refers really back further than 24 hours ago. We know that Christ is eternal. And he is the one that is the great I am that never changes, never has changed. He is immutable which means he's unchangeable, and he is impeccably immutable. That means it's an impossibility for him to change or to do really anything wrong. He cannot sin. So since this one that we're talking about, the great shepherd, does not change in who he is, then his word, his doctrine, his agenda, and the authority commissioned to him of the Father will not change either. So this is under the first point here, that the great shepherd was eternally authorized by the Father to be the great shepherd, in reference to this task of glorifying the Father and saving his sheep. So Christ himself, he is settled as a person. His attributes he is settled in the truth of who he is. He is not only all those things that we read about him. He himself is satisfied with that. The Father puts his stamp of approval on him. The only qualified one sends him out. The Spirit testifies of him. Trinity, harmony in reference to who Christ is, what his task is. And as he came in time and completed it, no fighting amongst the Trinity on what should be done. Christ is put out in preeminence by the Father. The Spirit represents that in testifying of him, doesn't testify of himself. There's no, <laughs> there's no argument in the Godhead. Harmony. That's settled. Christ is settled about it. The Father's settled about it. The Spirit's settled about it. His mind is settled about it. He's, he or any other part of the Trinity is not double-minded about this task of who he is, his commission, and the way he is a shepherd to his sheep. 
He is wisdom. That pretty much sums that whole point up there, that uh, it's going to work out, in other words. In the eternal decree of God, in God's wisdom, he points to Christ who is wisdom. And we know later on, as, as we recognize ourselves as the sheep of the shepherd, we have access to that treasure chest of wisdom, Christ, and him crucified. So Christ operates according to truth uh, because he is truth. And he speaks the truth with authority. Go to uh, Matthew 7. This is, uh, we've, we've seen this before. He speaks the truth with authority. I mean, think about just practically in your life as you, uh, maybe in your work life, uh, maybe among, um, I mean, look, think about news. We know that um, news, I don't know if you believe this or not, I'm pretty sure, I hope you do, that sometimes the news gets things wrong. Anybody realize that? <laughs> sometimes, uh, you know, just at work, I talk about work because I'm at work all the time. A lot of my hours are at work. And the information that runs through that place <clears throat> A lot of it's not true and uh, a lot of it comes from people that don't speak with authority right uh, it's called rumors sometimes it's called disinformation lies and so on Matthew 7 and verse 28 now this section here is uh, we look at this section all the time but a lot of times we don't end up here because we don't we always run out of time but we've seen it before Verse 28, it says, And it happened when Jesus had ended these sayings. The words, remember the words that he speaks, they are their spirit and they are life. After he ended these sayings, that the people were astonished at what his doctrine, his, his teaching. Why? It says, Because he taught them as one having authority, and notice this, up against somebody that didn't, not as the scribes. Now, he taught them as one having authority because he did have authority, right? Now, they may, uh, some of these people that were astonished may not have ever been converted. They might have died not believing. But it appeared to them that he spoke differently than at least the scribes. Uh, that's kind of an indication they saw some inconsistencies in what the scribes were not only saying but doing. Scribes and the Pharisees. These people were in power and it was not politically correct to point out those inconsistencies. Uh, they could be put to death if you did. You're familiar with this. We read this uh, a couple weeks back, I think. Listen to this. Concerning authority. John 17, 1 and 2. Jesus spoke these words. Jesus, when he speaks, he speaks words. And all of his words, their spirit and their life, no matter even if he's speaking to people or here he's speaking to the Father. And remember, Christ, because he's the Son of God and he does the will of the Father and what he speaks is true, he's, the, he's also the God they cannot lie. He's the God-man. His prayers are always answered because he always does the will of the Father. He always talks to the Father in reference to his will. It's what he came to do. That was his whole mission, to come to do the will of the Father. And here he talking to the Father, communing with him, the one who he was face-to-face -face with throughout eternity, had fellowship with. Jesus spoke these words, looked up his eyes to heaven, and he said, Father, the hour's come. I'm about ready to be crucified. In other words, glorify your son so that your son may also glorify you. As, you has get, as you've given him, and he's talking about himself, authority. Some versions use the word power. We'll get to that here in a minute. Over all flesh, authority over all flesh, so that he should give eternal life to as many as you have given him. His sheep. 
That's what we're talking about. He's the shepherd of the sheep. That's who we're referencing here. So he has the authority given him to, the, uh, to him by the Father. So authority has to do with uh, privilege, uh, a delegated influence. The Father delegated this influence to him, jurisdiction. He had the liberty. Uh, sometimes we say, we see somebody doing something, so you don't have the freedom to do that. You understand how that's used here? Christ, he had the freedom to do this. this. I mean, this was the whole plan between him and the Father. He was commissioned to do it. He, had, he has names associated with him. Uh, Christ, Jesus, these are names that are connected to his job, his mission, glorifying the Father and rescuing these lost sheep. He has the right. The other, another word is right. Privilege, uh, jurisdiction, liberty, power, right, all these things. All these things are associated. Go to Hebrews 5. Uh, so in other words, Christ, he, he, he wasn't a renegade that was self-pointed. He wasn't a rebel. This has to do with the covenant. There's an agreement. He, he wasn't in disagreement with the Trinity. He was in, in agreement with the Trinity forever, eternally. Hebrews 5 and verse 1, look at this. Uh, For every high priest is showing a contrast between the old covenant priesthood and Christ. For every high priest taken from among men is ordained for men in the things pertaining to God that he may offer both gifts and sacrifices for sin. So this is the Old Testament priesthood in reference to sacrifices and offerings in the Old Covenant. Who can have compassion on the ignorant and those who are uh, out of the way. For he himself is also compassed with weaknesses. Talking about the Old Covenant priests. They're, they're sinners themselves. So they know, in other words. They know what it is to be a sinner. Because of this, he should, as for the people, so all for himself offer for sin. So the, the Old Testament priesthood, before they went to the Holy of Holies, had to have an offering for their own sin before they stepped in there and take care of business for the people. Notice this here. That's why it brought us here. And, and no man takes this honor to himself that he who is called of God as Aaron was. So the Old Testament priesthood, you know, the say the ones that are, say, younger, and they see other priests doing this, the younger priest might say, hey, I want that, I think I want that job. And then they self-appoint themselves, self-authorize themselves. That's, that's, in other words, saying that's not the way it worked in the Old, the old Covenant. They were appointed for the people not by themselves. They were appointed by someone else. And then it gives a contrast here. So also, Christ did not glorify himself. Up there, the verse before, no man takes this honor to himself. Christ did not glorify himself to be made a high priest. He didn't do it on his own. But he who said to him, you are my son, this day have I begotten you. This is from uh, Psalm 2. It's, it's in there some other places too. I'm going to say Psalm 110. But the point is, in the covenant, there was an appointment of him by the Father. It wasn't just a taking it up and on himself, not harmonizing with the will of the Father. As he says in another place, and this is uh, pretty sure Psalm 110, you are a priest forever after the order of Melchizedek. So Christ just didn't, you know, say, this is what I'm going to do. I don't care, Father, Spirit, what you think about it. I'm doing it. And break ranks from the harmonious trinity. This was the eternal plan of God. And there was harmony there. And you, we see, and there's there's terms used in here that we are always trying to get a grasp on because we're just mere human beings. 
and we're trying to get a grasp on these uh, terms that are used in Scripture. You know, eternal things, and us as humans trying to see God and grasp this. But long story short, there's a there's an order here. There's authority here. And there is, of course, Christ looking at these things. If you don't understand that Christ humbled himself and took on the form of a servant, you won't understand this language. So the great shepherd's authority is eternal, and it came from the eternal covenant. Second to the last verse we read in our text, I think we'll get there later, talks about the blood of the eternal covenant. This is what we're talking about here. This is not just some plan B, Johnny come lately. I, what do I do now? I got to come up with an idea. The idea was eternal. And then he filled in the, the means afterwards. He declared the end from the beginning. He's not scrambling for getting a plan together. That's what we do. Verse 10 of our text says, We have an altar of which they have no right to eat. We know that, that Christ himself, well, first of all, in this building here, in this room, we don't have an altar. It would be, first of all, it would be idolatry. There's no more sacrifice for sin. We don't, we don't need some type of altar we can touch physically with our senses. Just like we don't need crosses, wooden crosses, or any other image that has to do with God. We're, for, we're forbidden to do that. But Christ is our altar. He is our altar. He's our sacrifice. He's our priest. He is all of it. And he was typified by the altar of the burnt offering. The sacrifice was offered on it. And everybody that believes on Christ lays hold of him, his person. And we're preserved by the power of his grace because we have his person. He's our shepherd. And he is the one. It's not our offerings that save us. We have nothing to offer to save us. Our offerings come later of praise because he saved us. So his body, he came, he was given a body, it says in, in the same book of Hebrews, and to do the will of the Father, and that was to be a, a, a sacrifice for sin. A male without blemish, without spot, holy, set apart, set aside for this burning fire of the wrath of God for the altar and the sacrifice to be completely consumed under the wrath of God, which God calls the whole sacrifice a sweet-smelling savor. He was pure when he suffered the divine wrath of God, and God had pleasure and was glorified in that sacrifice. So this altar was holy, sanctified, and he was all of it, the altar, the sacrifice, the priest, and that is our, that is where we eat from. We have the right to eat from there. Right having to do with authority. God has given us, kind of reminds me of John chapter 1, to them who believe on him have been given the authority or right to become the sons of God. Those that call on his name and believe on his name. So we've been given these rights because he had the rights first. He had the authority. So there's, as we're going through here, we're going to see connections between the sheep and the shepherd, not just looking at the shepherd. We're showing the benefits that the sheep get from the shepherd. Secondly, the great shepherd has the ability to care for his sheep. So he has the authority given to him, and now he has the ability we're going to look at. Now, Anything you all have been involved with throughout your life, if you want to look at it, sit back and look at it and see, well, whoever's involved, we're looking for, in reference to confidence, we're looking for abilities. Authority is pretty important, of course, but abilities. Is somebody on your team, whether it be at work or in a sport or whatever, you're looking, you're, you're craving abilities because that will help you, right? It's common sense. There's nothing worse than somebody being involved in something that will drag you down that doesn't have abilities. Sometimes uh, you're going to do a project or something, and uh, somebody says, do you care if I help you with it? Say it's you're building something at home. And um, you're thinking, 
uh, I've seen you build stuff before. No thanks, I don't need any help, right? <laughs> and that's the old saying where if, if it's a certain thing that you are pretty particular about, if you want something to be done right, you got to do it yourself, right? Well, the shepherd wanted something to be done right, and he did it by himself. He had the ability. The father recognized he had the ability, the qualified one. So he authorized, the first point, like we said, he authorized him to care for his sheep because of the abilities that he did have. Who wouldn't? He is the very essence of the father. The father's one saying, yep, yeah, just like me, go ahead, right? So we can sometimes use, and it don't always falls short, we can compare things, we can give illustrations of um, people that have been put under your care, whether it be kids or if you're a boss at work or something like that. When we have authority and responsibility, the results of that, the effects of that are seen by most everybody that's involved. So as, uh, say, parents, grandparents, great-grandparents, there's a knowledge, and even like a, a good babysitter would know this too, there's a knowledge of the needs of a child. There better be in order to take proper care of that child. You could go on all day and explain the needs of a child. Food, safety, just those two things right there could turn deadly in a moment's eye. Uh, what if one's a hireling? So we're going to talk later about shepherds that are hirelings. They just don't care. Now, there's babysitters that might be better than parents. I know there are. I know that's the case across this world. But what if there's one that's a babysitter that is just a hireling? They don't care for the child. They're, it's a gig. I want my $20 for, X, you know, for a couple hours. And um, they're not caring for the kid they're just there for the money so what could result well death could result all kind of thing molestation death all kind of unsafe things could result and these are the things that come from hirelings same with false Christs a lot of times we automatically talk about false preachers when we talk about hirelings but we want to look really at a Christ that's preached out there that failed that's not like the one we're talking about. Not he's not a great shepherd. The false Christ is uh, is an imposter and is a is a hireling. It's really just a figment of the imagination. Really, go to Hebrews one. The ability we're talking about the ability of the shepherd. I've said it many times in many ways. I've said it about different texts that we go to. Sometimes we look at texts for different reasons, and I think this is yet another reason to look at this text. Think about ability here. And authority covers both of our first two points. Hebrews 1.1, 1, 1, God who at many times and many ways spoken to us and passed by the prophets, the fathers and by the prophets. Talking about Old Testament. He has in these last days spoken, again, spoken, remember the words that I speak, their spirit in their life. He has spoken to us by his son, Christ. And just to make sure you know who we're talking about, the same one, who has, who's appointed heir of all things and by whom also he made the worlds. We're talking about the God-man, the creator, the son of God, Jesus Christ the Lord, the great shepherd of the sheep. This is the one. Not just with those titles, but what all those titles mean as you run them out with their implications. The true Christ. Who being in the brightness and the glory and the express image of his person. Upholding. Here we're starting to get to ability here. I mean, well think about it already. Created the worlds. So there's some ability there. He knows what he's doing. Upholding all things by the word of his power. That phrase in there has to do with him not only creating things but running things so as he runs his shepherdhood with his sheep this is of an extreme importance that he upholds his sheep 
everything about them, the care, his ability to care, and all the providence from A to Z, from start to finish, from beginning to end, is involved by this one who upholds all things by the word of his power. It has to do with authority and ability. When he had, and this is, this is the ground of it all, this is the whole, why it was all done in the first place. When he had by himself purged our sins, sat down on the right hand of the majesty on high. It's the place of authority, right? It's a place of power. And this is where he operates. Of course, he's there and he makes intercession for his sheep, right? Now, go to Hebrews 13. This is part of our text here, and it's related to him being the same, Christ being the same. Be not carried about with different and strange doctrines. For because it's a good thing for the heart to be established with grace. Of course, right away, we're going to see strange doctrines concern things that oppose grace. It's clear from this text right here. And some examples are things that crept back up from the Old Covenant. Meats. Another place it says the kingdom of God is not meats and drinks. It's in the same book here. What we read in uh, Galatians, it was stuff like that. Meats and drinks, circumcision, days. Strange doctrines is what it is. Strange doctrines. Different doctrines. Be not carried away with different and strange doctrines. Different in, in connection to the gospel that I had originally preached unto you. Just like Paul said, you're so soon removed from the, God, you know, the, the gospel that I preached that you claim to be saved under. But now you're flirting with different and strange doctrines. Meats is something you can see. Again, we go back to the, the sensory leading of one's spiritual life, and we can't do that. It's not about things you can see. It says which have not profited them, which have been occupied in them. It's not, it's not going to help. We've already warned you in times past, it doesn't help. Think about the blood of the bulls and the goats and all that. It says that it could never, it could never, never did, could never did, never will take away sin. It was to show something else. Those things are weak and beggarly. Meats and drinks and days and types and shadows and pictures. That's not the substance. We've got the substance. He's the great shepherd. Now, different and strange doctrines are a strange voice that doesn't match the shepherd's voice. So let's go ahead and turn to, where's that at? Anybody know that language? John 10, yeah, let's go there. John 10 and uh, verse 1. We're going we're gonna to come back to John 10 and look at some other verses later. But verse 1 says, uh, Truly, truly, I say unto you, He who does not enter the sheepfold by the door, but goes up by another way, is a thief and a robber. Got plenty of those today. But he who enters in the door is the shepherd of the sheep. The doorkeeper opens to him, and the sheep hear his voice, and he calls his own by name and leads them out. And when he puts forth his own sheep, he goes before them, and the sheep follow him because they know his voice. And they will not follow a stranger but will flee from him, from that stranger, because they do not know the voice of strangers. Very clear. Doesn't really need much explanation. This is not talking about animal sheep. And it's not talking about some dude that's a, that watches sheep. This is talking about the Lord Jesus Christ and his people. And there are spiritual truths here that are spoken by Christ that talks about him and us. Talks about the means involved, Christ's voice. It involves the authority and the ability of the shepherd to lead his people 
with his voice upon the ground of the work that he has done in reference to laying down his life for the sheep. And he controls all of that by his providence. It's not going to fail. The great shepherd, number three, the great shepherd has given his life for the sheep. I mean, this is the gospel, of course. The heart of the gospel. Back in our text in Hebrews 13, it says, For the bodies of those beasts, just call them animals, because that's what we, I mean, some of you have pet beasts, right? They're animals. The bodies of the animals whose blood is brought into the sanctuary by the high priest for sin are burned outside the camp. Wherefore Jesus also, that he might sanctify the people with his own blood, suffered outside the gate. He died for his sheep. Reference uh, something real quick out of Zechariah 13.7. And then we're going to go to Isaiah 53. It's a prophecy here in verse 7, 13, 7. This is requoted and parts of it are requoted in the uh, in the Gospels, and uh, I think also Peter talked about it. Awake, O sword, against my shepherd and against the man of uh, that is my fellow, says the Lord of hosts. Smite the shepherd, and the sheep shall be scattered. I will turn my hand upon the little ones. So there's a prophecy concerning Christ is going to be the shepherd. Christ will be smitten by God. So for more clarity, even on that, still in the Old Testament, look at Isaiah 53, which is probably one of the most clearest Old Testament chapters in the whole Old Testament concerning Christ the Messiah, the shepherd. Isaiah 53, let's start in verse 3. Speaking of Christ, he is despised and rejected of men, a man of sorrows. He's acquainted with grief. We hid, as it were, our faces from him. He was despised, and we esteemed him not. Surely he has borne our griefs and carried our sorrows, yet we esteemed him stricken, and here's the word we saw a second ago, smitten of God. And afflicted. But he was wounded for our transgressions. Now, as we read through, I'm not going to take a lot of time talking about the fact that this is particular atonement. I mean, we here know it is. There are things in the text that easily prove that out, that some of these things cannot be talking about those that are not his sheep, those that are not believers, those that end up perishing. You can see them as we go through here. He was wounded for our transgressions. He was bruised for our iniquities. The chastisement of our peace was upon him. And with his stripes we are healed. It's talking about a spiritual healing too. It's not talking about getting over cold or cancer. God heals people that are non-elect that have different diseases. Christ did, physically. This is talking about a permanent healing by his stripes. That's talking about particular atonement right there. Verse 6, we like sheep have gone astray. That's our topic today. Shepherd of the sheep. We have turned everyone to his own way, and the Lord hath laid on him. That's the charging, the transfer the reckoning to, the imputing to, the account of, the iniquity of us all, his people. He was oppressed, he was afflicted, yet he opened not his mouth. He was brought as a lamb to the slaughter. And as a sheep before shears is dumb, he opened not his mouth. So of course we see some parallel here. You know, Old Testament types and pictures of shadows talks about that lamb. We, we need a lamb. So he's the substitute, and it shows him as here as being also a sheep or a lamb. But of course he's different. He's without spot or blemish. He, he is the one that is the sacrifice that we can't be. He's the shepherd 
And since he knows what a sheep's all about, he knows all this language, he created sheep. Uh, we know sheep are dumb. We know that sheep have to be herded and have to be looked after. He knows all this. He's the, cre he's the creator of the idea of sheep before sheep were created. Right? He knows it all. He was taken from prison and from judgment, verse 8. And who shall declare his generation? Here's about his death right here. He was cut off from the land of the living. For the transgression of my people was he stricken. He made his grave with the wicked and with the rich in his death. Because he had done no violence, neither was any deceit found in his mouth. Yet it pleased the Lord to bruise him. The direct activity of the wrath of God, the Father, was directed toward the great shepherd, the spotless lamb of God. The Father was directly involved when sin was imputed to his account. He has put him to grief when you make his soul a sacrifice or an offering for sin. He shall see his seed, he shall prolong his days, and the pleasure of the Lord shall prosper in his hands. He shall see the travail of his soul and shall be satisfied. By his knowledge shall my righteous servant justify many, because he shall bear their iniquities. Therefore will I divide him a portion with the great, and shall divide the spoil with the strong, because he has poured out his soul into death. This is referring to he poured out his person. All that it took in reference to who that he was as the God-man, he poured himself out as a sacrifice to the Father. And the Father was involved in that, in procuring that uh, end result of justification. It was a successful propitiation, in other words. It was typified for thousands of years, and then boom, there it was, perfect. And he was numbered with the transgressors, and he bare the sin of many, and he made intercession for the transgressors. Go back to John 10 again. Let's pick that back up, part of the Good Shepherd stuff. And I saved this for this part because of the reference to his death in John 10. John 10, verse 11. I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. But he who is a hireling is not a shepherd who does not own the sheep. The wolf, uh, this, this hireling sees the wolf coming and he leaves the sheep and runs away. And the wolf catches them and scatters the sheep. And the hireling flees. He runs away because, because he's a hireling. And he does not care for the sheep. Kind of redundant about that. I'm the good shepherd, verse 14, and I know those that are mine. And I am known by those that are mine. There's a relationship going on. Remember, depart from me, you work of iniquity. I never knew you. There's no affectionate relationship, right? Verse 15, even as the Father knows me, I also know the Father, and I lay down my life for the sheep. It's redundant about that too. And I have other sheep that are not of this fold, that I must also lead those, and they shall hear my voice, and they shall be one flock, one shepherd. He makes a distinction between the Jews and Gentiles. He's gathering both flocks together to be one. This is said in uh, Ephesians 2. It talks about the Jews and Gentiles. He broke down the middle wall partition. And he brings together them in one new man. Same thing. And here he says it again. Therefore my father loves me because I lay down my life so that I might take it again. He's talking about for the sheep. No one takes it from me, but I lay it down of myself. 
I have the authority, there's the authority again, the power, the right, the liberty, to lay it down, and I have the authority to take it up. I've received this commandment from my Father, who has the authority, right? Then there was a division occurred again among the Jews because of these words. These words, you get that? They can't, they can't hear his words, right? And many said, "There's, he's got a demon. He's insane. Why do you even listen to him? Why do you hear him? Others said, these are not words of one which is possessed by a demon. A demon is not able to open the eyes of blind ones. And the feast of the dedication took place at Jerusalem, and it was winter. Jesus walked into the temple of Solomon's porch. Then the Jews encircled him and said unto him, How long do you make us doubt? If you are the Christ, tell us plainly. Now remember, think back about the words that Christ speak. They are spirit and they are life. And these people can't hear them. They can't hear them. So they're, they're wanting clarity. People that are deaf are wanting clarity. It's pretty much what's, being, what's going on here. And Jesus said to them, I told you and you did not believe. Does that start to make sense now? Remember, again, the words that I speak, their spirit and their life. I already told you, and you don't believe them. If you believed them, what? You would understand them. And you would be spiritual to understand them. But you're not spiritual. You don't understand them. And he's going to make an announcement uh, here in a second in reference to who they are and who they're not. Jesus, I told you, and you don't believe. The works that I do in my Father's name, they bear witness of me. Look, right here. But you do not believe because you are not of my sheep. As I said unto you, my sheep hear my voice. I know them, and they follow me. Now, what is he said a lot of stuff through here. He said, the words that I speak, they're spirit and life. You can't understand unless you're spiritual. Which means, of course, you had you've got to have a changed heart. You've got to given a new heart. You've got to regenerate. You've got to be quickened, alive, and to be able to hear. That's what has to happen. And really, really, before that, at least in our generation, before that, he hadn't died here, so I can't say that here before that. But Christ had to have died. Now here it says that I lay down my life for the sheep. He said it. Said it twice. He's redundant about it. He said some other things in reference to who he was as a shepherd and in reference to who the sheep were and what they do in reference to hearing. He's saying you can't, you can't believe you don't believe because you're not of my sheep. I lay down my life for my sheep. If you were my sheep, I would lay down my life for you. Then you would have this gift of the Spirit to be able to understand the words that I speak. Pretty easy. And then if you heard the words that I speak... You would hear my voice and you'd follow me. But you know what? You're not following me. You're resisting me. Some of you are saying I'm a demon. Some of you are just using enough human logic to say, that's not what that means. But they still don't understand that he's the great shepherd. And they don't follow him in the way that he should be followed. So remember that the sheep of God, they have always been sheep. Elect sheep. They were just the ones that haven't believed yet are lost sheep. And the shepherd goes and finds those sheep. Christ is not a goat herder. He doesn't herd goats. He doesn't care for goats. In the end, it says he's going to separate his sheep from the goats that are in the area there in reference to judgment. Goats don't turn into sheep, in other words. Sheep are always sheep. They're just lost sheep to get found by Christ. And the goats were always goats. The sheep were always sheep. Fourthly and finally, the great shepherd preserves his sheep. I think you're still in John 10 there. Uh, verse 28 says, And I give to them eternal life, and they shall never ever, the modern King James, this is a pretty good translation, I believe, shall never ever perish. I was talking to somebody that's pretty good with Greek, and he was going through this verse. 
you're translating it, never ever. That's what this says. It's not going to happen. Somebody says, uh, somebody uses that figures. It's not going to happen in a million years. This is longer right here. Because, you know, if, it, if something couldn't happen in a million years and then on the next second after a million years we perish, we're going to get to that point in time, right? Well, we don't have to. Some, somebody might say, well, a million years is a long time. You know what? We're talking about eternity. That's the security we have. That is, doesn't that shed some light upon who the shepherd is and what he's accomplished and what he controls in reference to authority and ability? And, and what his death means and his preservation here. And not anyone shall pluck them out of my hand. My father who gave them me in election is greater than all. And no one is able to pluck them out of my father's hand. In other words, never ever. Just like he said in the previous verse. That goes along with all the Father gives me shall come to me. He that comes to me I shall never ever in no wise cast out. Same idea. It's the will of the Father that whoever he gives his life for will be raised in the last day. And he'll lose none. The just shall live by faith. We know that. Let me read these two verses and we'll go back to our text and be done. Go ahead and turn to Hebrews 13. We'll be back here in a second. But in... In chapter 10, it says, Now the just shall live by faith, but as many, uh, or as, as if any man draw back, same idea there, and many went back and followed him no more. John 6. Here it says, If any man draw back, my soul shall have no pleasure in him. And then the writer says, to the believers, but we are not of them who draw back unto perdition. Here, the, the whole book is warning about don't go back into the ministry of death, ministry of condemnation, the old covenant, back to the law. Don't do it. It's a warning. The whole book's a warning not to do it. He says the believers are the ones who don't do that, but they are them that believe unto the saving of the soul. They're preserved by the shepherd. Now back in our text, we'll finish with, with that idea. The last, um, toward the end there, verse 20, now the God of peace, this is commonly called a benediction. The God of peace that brought again from the dead our Lord Jesus Christ. So we know that he died that was the victorious thing uh, and and the sign that we know that that sacrifice was accepted was his resurrection the father raised him he accepted that sacrifice that sacrifice was acceptable once and for all time it was a sweet smelling savor right the father was satisfied propitiation worked reconciliation is coming because of that he raised him from the dead, the great shepherd of the sheep. And he's talking about peace here. He's, he's speaking peace to believers. And he announces who this one is and what he did. And his peace is coming through the blood of the everlasting covenant, which is just rich with uh, promises. And it's, there it says to make you perfect in every good work, to do his will, working in you that's well-pleasing in his sight. Through Jesus Christ, to whom be glory forever and ever. Amen. So the great shepherd of the sheep, he will not fail, nor will he ever fail his sheep, because he didn't fail himself. He won't fail his sheep, but with certainty he'll protect them, preserve them, and raise them up on the last day. His resurrection and exaltation where he's seated at the highest place that anyone has ever been seated in this world or any world to come is proof of that. He is king. We sang the song, crown him with many crowns. That's, that's how we see him. Not just as shepherd, but king, exalted. And all these things are connected 
and, and mentioned in the promises of God in the covenant, the God that cannot lie in the everlasting covenant, and all the promises in God are yes and amen. And the question is today, do you believe those promises? Do you look to those promises? Do you believe those promises? Do you go over those promises in your heart and, you know, glory in the promises of God and see that they're fulfilled in Christ? You see the promise of the, the gospel of salvation conditioned on Christ and, the, you know, it's, that's a green pasture to hang out and eat in, you know. That's the uh, yoke that's easy. We hear the shepherd's voice. He just constantly is saying, I got it. I did it. It's done. <laughs> For salvation, there's nothing to do. His sheep hear that. And they stop dead in their tracks. And they rest in what the shepherd has done. And they worship him as a result. They do all kind of stuff after that. Because they love the shepherd. All right. Any questions or comments?